Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. All right, good. Make sure everybody's awake and live and well. Uh, thanks, Doug. Appreciate the great opportunity to be here uh, with you today on this very special day. And I look forward to um, getting to, to meet several of you. I've already seen some, some acquaintances that I did not expect to see here. Mallory over here. And then I assume that Rob was around. And there he is right there. And then uh, old friend Randy. Uh, Randy, where did you land? Oh, there he is, Randy uh, Medlin. And I see you with your wife there. And it's good to see you. Uh, all again, appreciate Randy and the good work that he's involved in and, and for him uh, being here today. You just, you never know who you're going to run into, do you, uh, sometimes, but it's great to see you guys and, and um, actually I may have some other students uh, here, uh, or rather some students from Freed Hardeman. Uh, Rob, I think I afflicted you and Mallory, didn't I? Seems, seems like, I can't remember. I went through about 400 students a year for many years, and it all starts, you know, running together after, after a while, but uh, usually they, they let me know uh, if, I'm, if I'm around. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here. We're really, I've looked forward to this. I appreciate Doug and his wife, um, Jody, and uh, they have a, a great family, and he, he comes from a great family, uh, Brother Kelby and Sister Martha. Uh, Smith, and I uh, appreciate all of their family so very, very much. All right. Now, I'd like to know if you have your Bibles. Let me see your Bibles. Hold them up. Get them up high. All right. Don't be bashful about that now. Okay. Now, listen to me. Are you listening? Let me see all the red Bibles. The red Bibles. All right. Okay. So you do get out a little bit more here than I thought you did. All right, good. I was at one place and I said I want to see the red Bibles. And there was one lonely red colored Bible that was, I said, let's start this over again. Let's think about this word a little bit. And after I spelled it and pronounced it in different ways and so forth, they kind of caught on, you know, to it. All right. And uh, be turning your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. In the... Um, 1200s, there was a man by the name of Langton who gave us the chapters of the Bible. Uh, we don't always agree with his chapter divisions, but we got them, and, and we're stuck with them. In the 1500s, there was a man by the name of Stephanus who gave us verses in the Bible. Now, all of this, of course, was already from God, but it was just arranged, you know, by these two men. I'm really glad that 2 Timothy 2.2 ended up the way uh, that it did. 2 Timothy, that's, that is the second book, chapter what? Chapter 2, verse number 2. What do you think? So you can remember that, can't you? Second book, second chapter, second verse. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is the commission which is given to uh, every local congregation. Now when we think about commission, normally we think of Luke 24, Matthew 28, and <clears throat> Mark 16, you know, where the commission is given. But this is equally as valid a commission as those commissions. And yet I don't think that it has been paid the attention that it is due. There are four principles that are stated in this verse of Scripture. I like textual lessons uh, outlined by the Holy Spirit. And um, someone asked me, I think his name was David, 
uh, asked me about some uh, PowerPoints, and I've got probably thousands of PowerPoints, but I don't do PowerPoints in, in settings like this for the most part. But um, <clears throat> there are four principles here that um, are very, very important, I think, and, and the Holy Spirit gives them to us. I have tried to give each of these points um, a, um, a particular letter, namely the letter C, to help us remember them. The first point in this verse has to do with the charge. The second point has to do with the content of the charge. The third point has to do with a challenge. And the fourth point concerns the character of those who need to be handing down the message. Everybody with me? Okay, we've got a plan. We've got four points. We stop at 945, so let's do it. The charge focuses, uh, picks up on the word commit. The things that you've heard among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men. What this is saying is the necessity of continuing the process that the Lord Jesus Christ started a long, long time ago if the church of the Lord is to grow and if it is to survive. Now, essentially the same thing was said by the Lord in Matthew 28 at 18, uh, beginning in in Matthew's uh, account uh, of the commission, where Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Watch it now. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like 2 Timothy 2.2? The things you've heard of me, you give to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. Notice that there are four generations being spoken of here. The things you've heard of me, that's number one. The same you commit, number two, to faithful men, number three, who will be able to teach others also, that's number four. And I think by implication, those in turn would teach others, and they in turn would teach others, and they in turn would teach others. And so here we are today, October, I forgot what the day is, the 18th. 19th? All right, the 19th. I, see, I, I feel really good. I made it. It's October. Okay. <laughs> so you get my age, you're just sort of happy that you land in the right month, right? October the 19th, 2014. And we are here today because of some really hard work that went on from some people before us. Is that right? Doug is standing on the shoulders of some people who've, who've worked hard here in the past. People who received the message and handed that message down to others, who in turn handed it down to others, and so forth and so on. This is God's plan of evangelism. Now, this coming 2015, February, will be the last year that I will uh, direct the Fried Hardeman uh, University Bible Lectureship. Uh, it'll be my 22nd year. Uh, and I've directed it four years since I retired from Fried Hardeman in 2010. But at any rate, frequently we will, uh, as we're uh, developing the program, we will perhaps think about an individual that we want to speak on a particular topic or something like that. And perhaps this person has had some, uh, some health challenges or, or whatever. And I'll say, now what if he's not able to be here? I've had that conversation, Doug, on more than one occasion. I said, what's our backup plan? And so I'm the kind of guy, I want a spare tire, okay? 
I want to know what the backup plan is. Now, here's my question. Concerning God's plan to uh, grow the Lord's church, to develop the Lord's church, if that plan doesn't work, what's the backup plan? See, I think about plan A and plan B. All right, if this is plan A, what is God's plan B? There is no plan B. This is it. This is the way that God intends, you know, for His church to grow. This is the way He intends for His church to survive. The things you've heard of me, among many witnesses, you give those same things to other people who will be able to give those, you know, to other people. This is the plan. And quite frankly, folks, if this plan is not carried out, the church can and will die in a given place. I was born and raised in Mississippi. <clears throat> Actually, I've heard some people say Mississippi, but they don't really know what they're talking about. Okay. It's Mississippi. I can take you to two places today. We could get there in less than 12 hours. I suppose that we could. I'm trying to think where I am. Yes, okay, we can do that. Where the church building still exists... But the church is dead. The structure's there that house the church, but the church is dead. And so the church can die, and it will die. Now someone says, yeah, but I'm not really sure about that. Well, uh, think again, because in Revelation chapter 2 at the church at Ephesus, you remember the Lord said that, uh, you know, these are the ones who had left their first love. And Jesus says, remember from whence you have fallen, and repent of your sin, and then do the first works, and then listen to what the Lord says. Or else I will come and remove your candlestick. Someone says, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you go to verse 20 of chapter 1, the candlestick represents the church. Now let's go back to it. Basically, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to extinguish you. And then in Revelation 3, you have a name that you live, but you are dead to the church at Sardis. And so it is possible then, you know, for us to uh, perish if we don't do what the Lord God of heaven has told us to do here. So the charge is to commit the things we've received to others. Now, let's look at the second point. The second point concerns the content of the charge. I want to spend just a little bit more time on this point. Notice what Paul says. Are you listening? The things... You have heard of me among many witnesses. The same things commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And so that which is to be passed on is a certain thing. What do you think? There's a certain thing that we're supposed to pass on. What is that? It's, it's the message. It's the message that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to the Apostle Paul, who gave it to Timothy, who gave it to faithful people. Now, sometimes the same thing is not handed down. There was a time we could drive down a street like this and see a sign, you know, saying such and such Church of Christ, and we would have a pretty good idea of what was going on on the inside. 
we would know that if they were organized, they would have elders and deacons and a, and a preacher, and um, that they would be male members. Is that right? And we would know that there would be uh, a cappella uh, music, and um, <clears throat> we would know that there'd be some really good women there who would be laboring in the ways that God intended for them uh, to serve, and so forth and so on. We'd know that on the Lord's Day, there'd be the Lord's Supper, right? And that there'd have elements, and that the elements would be unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine. Am I right about that so far? Can't count on that all the time now. You know, some places would say, well, uh, let's just have the Lord's Supper on Saturday night. That way we can go to the river on Sunday, you see. I hate the river. I hear a lot about the river. I missed you last Lord's Day. We was at the river. Missed you. I've missed you two weeks in a row. We've been at the river. Don't you get tired of hearing that? I do, anyway. Trying to, you know, find out about people and trying to encourage their faithfulness and so forth. <clears throat> so... The message that we, that we hand down has got to be the same message. The message that teaches about the supper being what it's supposed to be and that it's partaken when it's supposed to be partaken and so forth. Ms. Leipman and I were on a vacation some few years ago now, and we, it was in another state, and uh, we had made the mistake of not planning our worship on Sunday morning, and that was a mistake on our part. We should have done a better job at that. So I encourage you, if you take a trip, be sure you got your worship plans you know, laid out. You know what you're doing. So we wanted to worship, so we stopped at a place to worship. And uh, we didn't know anything about the place. This older gentleman met us, a very kind person, welcomed us. And I introduced myself, and upon finding out that I was a Bible professor at Fried Hardeman, he immediately said, you might want to come back to our next service. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said, well, this is our outreach service. And Doug, I told him, I said, well, brother, I'm, I've got to be at the right service because I've been all over this world preaching the gospel and leading campaigns and done 500 gospel meetings or, or whatever. And, and so outreach, listen, you want to talk about outreach? I am the guy. Well, guess what? He was right and I was wrong. I was at the wrong place. We were sitting toward the back. You know how visitors do sometimes. They you know, don't come up and sit on the front row and so forth like they own the place or anything like that. And uh, I was looking. They had an order of worship. And I was looking over the order of worship. And uh, one of the items was share the blessing. And at first I thought it was an old, old song. And I was trying to get the tune of it. You know how you do sometimes. You'll say the, say the words to yourself and maybe, maybe that will kick in a memory. So I was sitting there, and I guess I was louder than I should have been. I said, share, share the blessing, share, share the blessing. And I was carrying on something like that, and, and Linda, Ms. Um, Light, punched me in the ribs, and she said, it's not a song, dummy. And so now I'm excited. What's share the blessing about? And so I got their order of worship here, and I get, I get my, pan, my pen out, and I think, and so here's a song leader. He's leading such and such a song. I check that off. And I'm thinking, I only got four more things to go till I get to share the blessing. I can't wait. Then we had the prayer, and I checked it off. Then we had a scripture reading, I checked that off. Share the blessing time. You know what share the blessing was? The preacher's wife got up and did a solo and then led the congregation in singing. Now that sounds like to me a little different message, you know, than what our Lord gave to Paul and what Paul gave to Timothy and what Timothy, you know, gave to other people. What I'm saying is this, 
We've got to hand down the same message. Now, it may be packaged differently. It may be, you know, uh, dressed up a little differently. It may be in PowerPoint fashion or it may be distributed in other ways, but it's still got to be the same message. Because, you see, the message of the gospel is the only saving message. And so the message that Paul gave to Timothy was not a message by his own ingenuity that he was able to figure out. Paul was an educated man. He was a a very intelligent man. But when it came time to preach the gospel, he did not give a message that he came up with. On the contrary, he gave a message that was given to him by God's grace. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 3, the Bible says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So I delivered to you, what, Paul? That which I received. And I like the way he says it in Galatians 1, 11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Verse 12, I did not receive it from a man. Nor was I taught it, implied, by a man, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the message that I need to give to you today, the message that Doug you know, gives to you, and others who stand in this position right here, has got to be the message that the Lord Jesus Christ originally gave upon being sent by the Father. That's the message that we've got to preach. The power to save, brethren, is in that message. It's not in a person's eloquence. It's not in a particular man. It's in the message. Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith, watch it, it's going to ease up on you here, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God. So that's where our faith has got to stand. It ought to be that when a preacher leaves a given congregation, there shouldn't even be a skip in the work because he has preached and declared the good news in such a way that the people have put their faith where? In the message and not in that particular man. Doug, you and I both know of congregations where, you know, the congregation is for all practical purposes, you know, falling apart, you know, when the preacher left. That ought not to be. I wonder... Uh, I can't help but wonder if the, the preaching of the message was not being done, but that rather something that instilled their confidence <clears throat> in something besides the message was being done. So the content is the message. Now, brethren, listen to me. This is what we've got to be giving to our children. Am I right about that? Amen. Can you say amen on that? It's weak, but I'll take it. Maybe we'll grow in that area. Okay, maybe not. Probably not. It's been my experience. Okay.
Turn to Psalm 78, if you would. Psalm 78. Psalm 78. Here's a chapter. I want to read just a couple of verses. I tell you, this is such a profound section of Scripture for us as parents. Now, Ms. Life and I got three girls. They're 42 or 3 and 41 or 2 and 39 or so. Okay, see, I'm doing pretty good. I got them in the right decades there. I know exactly when they were born, but I'd have to do the math, and I don't want to think about that right now. And so uh, it's a bit late for us, you know, on this. You know, we can still, you know, give words of encouragement and so forth. But I want you to listen to me, especially parents. Verse 1, give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Go to verse 4. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. Go to the end of five, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may not be like their fathers, a bunch of hard-headed, stubborn, well, um, that's a little updated translation, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Wow. We've got to give the message to our children. Got to do it. We have to do it. You remember in Judges, um, about chapter 2, you know, the Bible says they served the Lord the days of Joshua. And then they served the Lord during the days of the elders that lived. And then there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. And I've often asked myself, what happened? What happened? Now, a couple of things could happen. Uh, It could be that they didn't hand down the message, but it says they were serving the Lord, doesn't it? Or it could be that they handed down the message and it didn't take. Does that happen sometimes? That happens, doesn't it? You know, we can work our livers out, you know, to communicate, you know, what the message of God is supposed to be. But then in spite of our very best efforts, sometimes it doesn't take. But we've got to make every effort to try to hand that down. In Exodus 12, when the Passover was instituted, God told Moses, listen to what he said to him. He said, Moses, one of these days, your children are going to rise up and they're going to ask you, what does this mean? And God said, you tell them. You tell them the story, Moses. You tell them that you were slaves in Egypt. You tell them that you were delivered out by my mighty arm. You tell them, you know, about my marvelous and great works. I can't help but think, is that not analogous, you know, to us today as we go through our different activities of service to God, that sometimes we might need to pause and say to our children, let me explain to you what this is about. For example, the supper. The supper is about the Lord's death. When we're eating the supper, we're doing something. It has certain elements These elements that we have are 
from biblical authority. It is supposed to be partaken of at a certain time, on a certain day, and so forth. We need to tell our children that. Instead of just, you know, well, there comes the tray again. I don't know what they're doing. You know, one of them punches their buddy. I don't know what's that. We do this every Sunday, but I ain't got a clue what this is about. <laughs> you see? Need to tell them what it's about. On more than one occasion over the years, I've had more than one mother, it's usually the mother, call me and say, <clears throat> Brother Life, we don't know what happened to that boy of ours. We sent him up there to you, and, and now he's joined, uh, you know, some other religious group over here. We don't know what's going on. And I always say to myself, Randy, I, I have an idea what's going on. And my idea is they didn't get it. For the 18 years that they were at home, they didn't get it. They went through some acts. They witnessed some acts, but they didn't, it didn't register up here. They didn't have, as it were, skin in the game, if you'll permit me. In the 80s, I was preaching a, um, a meeting out in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I was visiting with this uh, a man, a businessman, multimillionaire, who was retiring in his 50s, which was very interesting to me. In the course of the conversation, he told me that he was um, making plans for his two sons to buy the business. Now, I'm not a businessman. Some of you are business people, I'm, I'm sure. But I've had more business people verify what I'm about to share with you. It was interesting to me that he said that his two sons would buy the business. He said, oh yes, they've got to buy the business. If they don't, they will maintain it and their children will lose it. And he proceeded to tell me that some businesses are lost in the first generation, more are lost in the second, but most of them are lost in the third generation. Now that's what he said. I'm not saying that I know that for a fact, but that's what a businessman told me. He said, my wife and I started this business. We worked for years, like 75, 80 hours a week, developing the business. If they want it, they'll buy it. they got to have skin in it. And I left there and I got to thinking, I'm thinking about this spiritually speaking. I'm a first generation Christian. I wouldn't wish on any of you my background as a child. I just, I wouldn't do it. Looking back, it's contributed to my appreciation for the gospel message, however. But we didn't have a real religious background. We didn't even make it at Easter time. My dad was on the river drinking beer and running trot lines. That's what life was about. But then the gospel came along when I was about 11. And I saw a remarkable change in an incredible man. I saw the power of the message. And so then, you know, I obeyed the gospel. <clears throat> now what is profoundly important to me is why I believe what I believe why I practice what I practice. I want to know it for myself. And so I want to search these scriptures. I want to know, why don't we have a piano? 
I'm not content with, you know, the elders just saying, well, we don't. I want to know why. I'm not from Missouri, but you got to show me. Okay? And so I study. And I study hard. Because I want to know why. Now, if I'm not careful, I can be content with my own study and not encourage children and others to do the same thing. I think as a parent, sometimes we might be tempted to do that. We might just say, you know, here, believe this, practice this. Now, there's a time when our children need to just listen to what mom and dad say. Everybody with me? A three-year-old child, mama says, do not ride your tricycle in the street. They don't need to be asking why, they just need to obey. You know, your children on Sunday morning, get up from there and get ready for church. You see, you'd never go to a three-year-old child and say, well, darling, what would you like to do this morning? Would you like to watch cartoons or do you want to get up and take a bath and get ready and go to church? See, no, no sensible thinking parent's going to do that. You say, get up from there. We're going to get ready. You know, and go worship the Lord. But then there comes a time in our life, you get the age of these, these fine young folks over here, they got minds of their own. They can think. They can deliberate. They can draw conclusions based on evidence and so forth. And so we try to say, here's one way of looking at it. Here's another way of looking at it. And here's the evidence for this way, and here's the evidence for that way, and the evidence is overwhelming concerning this way, and so forth and so on. And see, that's critical thinking. And that helps them own their beliefs. Does that make sense? They own it, you see. And now it's not your belief as a parent, it is their belief, it's their value. Uh, Fried Hardeman, I taught a course. Uh, every uh, year for years uh, called Values in Human Thought and Action. And other professors taught it as well. And I'm not sure what everybody did, but what I, one of the first things that I said in the class was this. It is not my mission in this class to change your beliefs and or your values, but it is my mission in this class if I have to drag you to the understanding to help you own your beliefs, and own your values. Does that make sense? See, I want it to be yours. I don't want your belief to be my belief. I want it to be your belief. You see, you own it. You you have a vested interest in it. Number three, there's a challenge here. The things that you have heard of me, among many witnesses, the same things you commit to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. And so the challenge here is what you have received, you give it to other people. Brethren, we are not reservoirs of the gospel. What does a reservoir do? It holds water. 
I, I told you I'm from Mississippi. In the northern part, you got Arkabutla Lake. You go south, you got Sardis Lake. You go a little farther south, you got Enid Lake. I was raised three miles from that lake. Go farther south, you, south, you got Grenada Lake. You go down around Jackson, you got Ross Barnett Reservoir. All man-made reservoirs for what purpose? To hold water. That's what they do. Made for flood control. We're not reservoirs of the gospel. Let me use a metaphor. <clears throat> I know you have in your mind's eye, you know, Palestine. I know that you can see up at the top, Galilee. I know you see a Jordan River coming out. Am I right about that? And then down south, you got this other sea called the what? Talk to me. The Dead Sea. Guess why they call it the Dead Sea? It's dead. Galilee is not dead. Men for hundreds of years have made their living, you know, fishing from that sea. I want to see it one of these days. It's 13 miles long, 7 miles wide, it's 150 feet deep. I know all about that sea. But I've not been able to actually see it with my own eyes. And flowing out of that sea, it's giving, you see, giving and giving. And then there's something on the receiving end. Give to me and I won't give to anybody. (laughs) Galilee's alive, the Dead Sea's dead. That's the way I feel about the gospel. We have not received the gospel to keep it. We're pipelines of the gospel. A pipeline is a means of conveyance through which some substance goes, like water or oil or gas or something else perhaps. We're pipelines of the gospel. I've received the gospel to give the gospel to somebody else. And God help us to go to our death Still giving this message to someone else. That's the challenge. It's hard to keep good news to yourself, isn't it? I used to bank at a place that, where this woman had a sign in the window where you'd drive up, you know, by the, the uh, window. And uh, it would say, ask me about my grandchildren. And as I drove up, I would say to myself, I wish she would let me ask her about her grandchildren. Because I wouldn't ask her today. I'm in a hurry. But I didn't have to ask her. She'd push out that little tray and she'd say, have you seen these pictures? I said, I believe you showed, showed those to me last week. Are you sure? You better look again. I don't think you've seen these. So then it got to where I'd go up and I'd say, uh, have you got some pictures of your grandchildren I need to look at? <laughs> Hard to keep good news to yourself. And so, if you think about it, I love the account in John, in John 1, where the Bible says that one of the two who heard John speak followed him, and it was Andrew, Simon's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said, we found him. So here's Andrew, he hears about Jesus, and what's the first thing he does? He tracks Peter down. I got to tell you something, Peter, we found him. The Messiah we've been looking for for so long. We found him. It's good news. Hard to keep good news to yourself. Some people are more interested in sharing that good news than others. Some have greater desire than others. I've always had felt a, an incredible burden, you know, to share that message with others. Perhaps it's because of, of you know, the wrecks that I witnessed. And, and you know, it's, an, it's, it's impressive when you see, you know, your, your dad handcuffed and taken off to jail. That's impressive on a child. 
I can tell you. And, and fights and liquor and all that goes with that. And then to see the power of the gospel of Christ. That's impressive to me. And I want other people to know about that. Because that is the answer. I think sometimes we speak loosely that Christ is the answer. But let me tell you something. He is the answer. He is the good news of God's saving grace, as we're going to talk about at our worship hour. He is the answer. And so we've got to have a great burden, you know, to give it to other people. And then quickly, uh, the last point here is this. Let me go back. Get like me, Joe, you have to quote a whole verse again sometime to find where you are. The things you've heard of me among many witnesses, the same things commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The same things commit to faithful men. Now, I think it also would certainly include women in the areas in which God intends for them to serve. What is a faithful person? A faithful person is a loyal person. Those of you who are employers, a faithful employee would be a dependable employee. They are loyal. They're trustworthy. You can count on them. They're not, you know, staring at the clock from 4.30 to 5, you know, waiting for it to strike 5 so they can, you know, head out the door. They're thinking in bigger terms. They're thinking about the company. They're thinking how they can serve. They're dependable. You can count on them. Guys, I really need you to stay late today if you can. We can do that. Sometimes we can't, but, you know, a faithful person is going to try to, you know, go the second mile. They're going to try to, you know, be, be a, a real servant. So a faithful person is a dependable person. And so only those who have truly received the gospel, I think, are able to effectively and rightly, you know, communicate it to other people. Ezra said it this way. Ezra sought the law of the Lord. He set his heart, first of all, to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So we got to have the right heart. We got to seek the right message, namely God's message. And then we've got to practice it ourselves. And then what? Give it to somebody else. We've got to be faithful people. Now what does it mean, you ask? Can you illustrate it? Well, I can. You cannot send the person who attends once a week, or rather, I'm sorry, like the, uh, yes, the once a week attender. He just shows up. Just, you know, barely shows up and leaves. You can't send that person to the non-attendee and win faithful attendance. I just don't think you can do it, Doug. You cannot send the social drinker to the alcoholic and win sobriety. Just, I don't think it works. If you want to sell me a car, you better be driving the kind of car you want to sell. Uh, David, here's a Ford. We think you need to buy this. Well, what do you drive? Well, I drive a Chevrolet. I wouldn't drive a Ford, but I want you to buy the Ford. It, there's something wrong with that picture. We got to believe in the product for ourselves. Am I right about that? I believe in it. 
I believe it's the only hope for this world. The message. And this is a great passage of Scripture that the Holy Spirit has given us. The charge, commit the things that the Lord Jesus gave to Paul, who gave to Timothy, who gave to others that we ourselves have received. And commit the same thing that was handed down. And for every one of us to realize the individual responsibility that we have to share the good news and then to remain faithful. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we're so grateful for your grace and your mercy and your love that sent Jesus into this world to die for our sins. We are grateful for the word that we have received. We are grateful for the power of the message of the blessed gospel. And Father, we are so grateful that in thy good providence that we've had the opportunity to hear and believe and obey the gospel. And Father, we pray today, even today, that we will be faithful servants. You've entrusted this word to us to give to others, and we pray that we'll have the diligence to do it. Father, we ask thy blessings upon all of our activities today. We ask thy blessings upon the church, upon this congregation, on the work that they're involved in. And we ask thee above all to forgive our transgressions. For it's in Jesus' name that we humbly beg it. Amen.